Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a great blessing that we can be here together again as God's family, joined together in worship. And a hearty welcome to everyone here in the building and also those who are joining us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ, cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Just a couple of announcements. An attestation has been requested by family Teo and Olivia Van Dyke to the Fruitform Church of Mount Nasura. We wish them the Lord's blessings in their new congregation. And with thankfulness to the Lord, we announce that candidate Tim Slar sustained his examination at Classis this past Friday. His ordination to the office as missionary will take place on Sunday the 29th of October in the morning service, the Lord willing. And this afternoon, the worship service will be led by our brother Peter Terpstra. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together from hymn 65, sing verse 3. If you are able, please stand to receive the greeting of the Lord. Together we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And he greets us. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us praise God with singing hymn 5.
We'll now make confession of our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. And let everyone say with me in his heart, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now sing from Psalm 36, verse 2 and 3. All whom you to your feasts invite will drink from rivers of delight. Psalm 36, verse 2 and 3.
Let us come before the Lord and ask him for a blessing over this worship service. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you to thank you that we may be gathered here again for the second time today. At the start of this worship service we could sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, God in three persons, Blessed Trinity. Lord, together with all the saints, we adore you because you are an awesome God. You are holy, you are merciful, mighty, and there is none beside you who are perfect in power, love and purity. All your works shall praise your name in earth and sky and sea. When we consider the world that you have made, from the furthest galaxy to the smallest molecule, we have to confess that we are too sinful. Our minds are too small to comprehend your majesty and your holiness. And Lord, we can only stand in awe that you would call us your children and call us here again this afternoon into your presence, that we might once again hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and in particular how it relates to the Lord's Supper, which he instituted. We pray for your blessing over this worship service. Will you help each and every one of us through your Holy Spirit to receive your word, that the gospel will fall on fertile soil. May we grow in our love and understanding of who you are and what you have done for us. May our voices join with the seraphim in singing your praise, bringing honour and glory to your holy name. Amen. The sermon I may read to you this afternoon was written by Reverend Rolf Den Hollander from the Canadian Reformed Church in Grimsby. And the text is Lord's Day 29 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The scripture reading that he has chosen is from Exodus 24 and also Luke 22. So I invite you to take your Bibles with you now and we'll turn to Exodus chapter 24. So Exodus 24, we'll start reading at verse 1. Then he, that is the Lord, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. 
There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. So we now turn to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, starting at verse 14. And when the hour had come, he, that is Jesus, reclined at the table and told the, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise a cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this.
As I mentioned, this afternoon we continue our way through the Lord's the Heidelberg Catechism, where we have come to Lord's Day 29, which you can find it on page 544 of your book of prayers. So Lord's Day 29. Are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of sacraments. Why then does Christ call this bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant in his blood and why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. So following the proclamation of the gospel, our Amen song will be Psalm 17, verse 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper while he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. But the Passover is not the only background to the Lord's Supper. We don't find language in our confessions about the Lord's Supper like we do about baptism. For example, we read in the form for the baptism of infants, in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised and then in the new dispensation, baptism has replaced circumcision. Baptism has replaced circumcision. There's a close link between baptism and circumcision, closer than the link between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. There's a bit more to the picture that adds to our appreciation of what Christ has given us in this sacrament. And this afternoon, we'll look at that. It's the connection between Exodus 24 and Luke 22, the connection being a meal. So without delay, we'll get to that. I'll summarise the message as follows. Our gracious God hosts his people at a fellowship feast. Firstly, in the Old Covenant, and second, in the New Covenant. Our gracious God hosts his people at a fellowship feast. And firstly, we'll look in the Old Covenant. We read Luke's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus is sitting at the table with his disciples celebrating the Passover. 
Over the years, since the first Passover, extra elements were added to the celebration. God had not given instructions about any wine, for example. And yet, by Jesus' day, a typical Passover meal was divided into four parts, four stages, if you will, each divided by drinking a cup of wine. The third cup, after the bread, was called the cup of blessing. We still hear that in our own celebration, the cup of blessing for which we give thanks. It's this cup that Jesus picks up to say, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The Apostle Paul relays the same in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 25. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Is obviously what our catechism is referring to in question answer 79. The new covenant in my blood, says Jesus. Emphasis on the words new and my. The new covenant in my blood. Because Jesus, by saying this, is calling to mind an old covenant in another's blood. He's purposefully using language that, re that is reminiscent of Moses' words in Exodus 24, verse 8. Then Moses said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That means that we need to better understand what happened there to appreciate what Jesus is doing here and what we are enjoying still today. In Exodus 24, Israel is gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've been delivered out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they've travelled as far as this mountain. Here God is going to renew his covenant with them. If they keep his covenant, they will be his treasured possession among all the peoples. Exodus 19 verse 5. So the Lord gives Moses instructions for the people to gather at the foot of the mountain. He's going to meet with them there. He's going to come down on Mount Sinai in, in the sight of all the people. Moses is, is to set limits around the foot of the mountain because the people aren't allowed to come close. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. You can imagine that these instructions already begin to put fear into the people. On the morning of the third day, God comes down on the mountain. There are thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people tremble. Moses comes out of the camp to meet God and the people stand back at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai is wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it goes up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembles violently. As the sound of the trumpet blast blast gets louder and louder, Moses speaks and God answers him from the thunder. And again, God warns the people not to come too close. They may not touch the mountain. It all presents quite the setting for us. We're not surprised, I think, when we learn in Exodus 20, after the law has been given, that when all the people see the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, that the people are afraid and tremble and stand far off. And they say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Lightning storms, thunderclaps, billowing smoke, earthquakes, 
Each by themselves is enough to leave most people a little nervous, at least. To pack them all together and to know, here is your God. No wonder even the seraphim around his throne cry out, like we sang together at the start of this church service. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Consider his majesty, his power, his holiness. So while the people stand far off, Moses draws near to the thick darkness where God is, and God speaks to him. In chapters 21 to 23, we read of various laws God gives and the promises that he makes. And then we come to chapter 24, which we read. God tells Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel to come up to the Lord and to worship from afar. And the rest of the people have to stay back. But something very important has to happen before Moses and that group of elders may come up to the Lord. Moses goes back to the people to tell them all the words of the Lord. Twice, they say, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses builds an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes. On the altar, he offers oxen as a burnt offering and as peace offering. Half of the blood he takes and puts in basins, and half he throws against the side of the altar. After reading the book of the covenant and hearing their response that they will do all this, we read, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words. The people are sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice. And then... Only then do Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders go up. And they saw the God of Israel, we read. Imagine, they've just been trembling with all the people at the foot of the mountain, afraid even to listen to God. And here they are. Oh, they don't see God fully. God has said to Moses that no one can see him and live. They see a pavement of sapphire stone. It's the colour of a beautiful blue sky. And through that pavement they see the feet of God, as it were, sitting on his throne. And then come those simple yet profound words. They beheld God and ate and drank. <laughs> That's it. But what a wonder is captured there, no? Here are 70 elders. They represent the people of Israel. Seventy of them came with Jacob when he first entered Egypt. Now there are seventy invited up to the mountain with Israel. On behalf of the nation of Israel, they enjoyed a feast with their God. They behold, they behold him and eat and drink, but only after the sacrifice has been made, only after the blood of the covenant has been sprinkled on the people. That's the only way to enjoy the fellowship feast with God. What an awesome experience that must have been, even for Moses. Moses was afraid when he saw God in the burning bush in Exodus 3. The people are afraid when they see the revelation of God. Yet now he invites these 70 to the mountain and they eat and drink in his presence. There are levels of closeness as it were here. The people can't touch the mountain. These 70 get to come close but only Moses may come all the way to speak with God. 
And still, after the sprinkling with blood, this holy and majestic God hosts his people at a fellowship feast. We don't know what they ate and drank, but we can be sure it's a meal they never forgot. Incredible, isn't it? What would you have thought about sitting there? Such a short little phrase, but what an experience it communicates. They beheld God and ate and drank. A fellowship feast. Wonderful as it must have been, though, it still shows a great distance between God and man, doesn't it? They may only come so far, and they look through the sapphire pavement and can only see God's feet as he sits enthroned on high. Then the old covenant is one of anticipation. Think of the promise in Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. It says, a far more splendid fellowship feast is still coming, hosted by our gracious God. Then Jeremiah promises too, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. All this is ringing in the background, brothers and sisters, when Jesus picks up that cup of wine to say, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Already we begin to gain, to gain more appreciation for the riches of what Christ instituted. And we hear more about that in the second point, the new covenant. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant, my blood. It's the last Passover. From here on, God's people will enjoy a different feast of broken bread and poured out wine. A feast to be enjoyed only after a sacrifice and the shedding of blood. Jesus knows that he's coming. He's preparing his disciples for his death. He knows that his body is about to be offered on the tree of the cross. There he will have to bear the wrath of God, the judgment of God and the curse of God, all for our sin. This is a new covenant. No oxen or sheep or goats sacrificed to have the blood thrown against the altar or sprinkled on the people. Instead, the blood of the Lamb of God, shed under the lash of the whips, shed by the crown of thorns pressed into his head, blood shed from the nails that were hammered into his hands, shed when the Roman soldiers pierced his side with the spear. The author of Hebrews writes about Jesus Christ as such a sacrifice. In chapter 9, verse 26, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Or Hebrews 10, verse 10, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All the sacrifices, the offerings in the Old, the old Covenant, we're pointing to this, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And with his sacrifice, the coming of the new covenant. Hebrews 8 verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. No more lambs and rams and oxen. The once for all blood of the Passover lamb has been shed. 
Just what our baptism reminds us of too. We confess it in Lord's Day 25. Both the word and the sacraments, baptism and Holy Supper, are intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground for our salvation. Then even though we have a sermon on the Lord's Supper, the message of our baptism connects. We receive the promise of the forgiveness of all our sins in this blood of the covenant. It signifies and seals the washing away of all our sins by this same shed blood, the blood of the new covenant. It's a far richer, a far better covenant. So says the author of Hebrews in 7 verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Or Hebrews 8 verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as a covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on it better promises. And it is far better, isn't it? Even if we simply focus on this fellowship feast, what do the 70 elders with Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu eat? Surely it was just physical food. Moses had sprinkled them with the blood of the covenant and they ate a meal of physical food. That's the way in the old covenant. Jesus takes a cup after supper and says, This covenant is a new covenant in my blood. Take, drink from it all of you. And after that, the broken bread. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. And they ate it. They ate the bread and drank the wine, physical food. We confess in Lord's Day 29 that this bread and wine does not become the, the body and blood of Christ itself. Although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of the sacraments. It's the same, says the Lord's Day, as the water of baptism. The water that was sprinkled on our heads does not become the blood of Christ. It isn't of itself the washing away of sins. It's God's sign and pledge. So the bread and wine stay bread and wine. The disciples there around the table eat physical food, just like those 70 on the mountain, and they are nourished by it. They enjoyed a meal with Christ himself as their gracious host. But they received far more than just physical food, didn't they? They weren't only physically nourished, they are spiritually nourished. Again, Lord say 29, Christ wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in the temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. There's a teachable moment here. We make the connection. Bread and wine feed us physically. Jesus' body and blood feed us spiritually. But that's not the end of it. It's not just a teachable moment. It's an assurable moment, if I may make up a word. Christ wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. There's no denying that you have bread in your mouth and wine when you partake. Your mouth tells you. The taste buds on your tongue confirm. So surely do we receive Christ's body and blood. Then we receive far more than those 70 on the mountain. Awesome as that experience must have been, 
it pales in comparison to this. Christ hosts us at his table and gives us himself. This is how the Belgian Confession connects the two. For the support of the physical and earthly life, God has ordained earthly and material bread. This bread is common to all, just as life is common to all. For the support of the spiritual and heavenly life, which believers have, he has sent them living bread which came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and sustains the spiritual life of the believer when he is eaten by them. That is, spiritually appropriated and received by faith. And that's not the end of it. When we eat and drink this physical food for our spiritual nourishment, we have more assurance. All the suffering and obedience of Christ, Lord's Day 29 explains, are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. In other words, this broken bread and poured out wine is a broken body and shed blood of Christ, and it is for me. I may be assured that when God the Holy One looks on me, there is no great distance anymore, but I enjoy a real fellowship again. We have no need to tremble in fear, as at the foot of Mount Sinai. We have no need to say, we do not want to hear the voice of God, lest we die. We're not overwhelmed by thunder and lightning and smoke and trumpet blast. There isn't any sapphire pavement that separates us from God. No, we're brought near in the suffering and obedience of Christ. The way has been made open to him in the blood of the sacrifice. And we are received at his table because we have a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. He suffered in my place. He's obeyed the law of God perfectly for me, that I may be received into his family. I enjoy communion with Christ his son at the table. Our gracious God hosts his people at a fellowship feast, one far greater than the one in Exodus 24. They beheld God and ate and drank, and that must have been wonderful. How much greater though? Through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood, as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. The meal on the mountain would not have left those 70 untouched, would it? Could it? What about you? When you come to this fellowship feast which our gracious God hosts, what happens when you eat the bread and you realise again, he died for me? How does it affect you when you drink the cup and you're reminded again, his blood was shed for me? What you feed on, says one commentator on this Lord's Day, you will smell like afterward. What you feed on, you will smell like afterward. In the Song of Solomon, the girl compares her beloved to an apple tree and wishes to be fed with apples. And then later he says, the scent of your breath is like apples. He's an apple tree and she's been feeding on him. Someone once wrote in the margins of his Bible about this text, Imagine how she would have smelled if she had been feeding on the leeks and the onions and the garlic of Egypt. You get the image, right? Garlic breath, fish breath, 
it's not for everybody. But what you eat, you smell like afterward. What about after eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ with a mouth of faith? Does the experience leave you unchanged? Doesn't the connection Jesus make between the blood of the covenant in the hands of Moses and the new covenant in his blood remind us again how awesome is the privilege that we may dine at Christ's table? Then the aroma of Christ emanates from us when we've eaten Christ's body and drank of his blood. Others will smell our joy, our thankfulness, our praise, our motivation, our hope. We smell of Christ. And we do that in anticipation too. Because as wonderful as this new covenant fellowship feast is, it's only a foretaste of a far greater feast yet to come. Just a couple of weeks ago, we could celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the form that we read together puts it so beautifully. We receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant joy which he has promised and look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb when he will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. Let us rejoice and give him the glory for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. That's taken from Revelation 19, verse 7. And there's something else there that adds to the glory. It was a relatively small crowd in Exodus 24, even smaller in Luke 22. But it was in preparation for the celebration of all Christ's people in the new covenant. The crowd grows. And at the marriage feast of the Lamb, John hears what seems to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. And it's this great multitude that cries out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It's the multitude of Christ's one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. What a fellowship feast that will be. You can just taste it when you eat the bread and drink the wine. Yes, beloved, the Lord's Supper is that rich. Amen.
pray to the Lord. Merciful God and Father, we thank you that in your boundless mercy you have given us your only begotten Son as our mediator. We praise you that he is a sacrifice for our sin and our food and drink to life eternal. We thank you that you gave us a true faith through which we may share in such great benefits. Through your Son you have instituted the Holy Supper for the strengthening of our faith. We earnestly ask you, faithful God and Father, that by your Holy Spirit, the gospel message that we could hear again this afternoon may lead to our daily increase in true faith and fellowship with Christ, your beloved Son. Grant us your grace that we may take up our cross joyfully, deny ourselves and confess our Saviour. And Lord, we pray now that you will be with all of us in this week that lies ahead. Many of us face challenges and trials in our lives, even on a daily basis. Some of us struggle in silence, either emotionally or spiritually, and yet you know. And we pray that you'll carry us through these difficult times. Will you be with those who suffer physically, are under the care of the doctors who are in hospital, or who have to undergo surgery this coming week? We pray also for those of us who feel lonely or isolated, or who still grieve the loss of loved ones. Will you comfort and sustain them with your word and promises? Lord, we pray that you'll be with us in our families too. May our homes be true Christian homes where your word is open and our covenant children are raised to know you and to love you. We thank you that as parents we do not do this alone, but that together as community we can work together in schooling our children, that our children may be taught in a way that brings honour to your name. And so we pray that you'll be with the teachers and students as they begin another school week tomorrow. And Lord, we especially pray that you'll be with the year fives as they go on a camp to Albany this week. Will you protect them on the roads and give them an enjoyable time, Lord, and keep them safe and bring them all home safely at the appointed time. We thank you too that we can contribute to the Theological Seminary in Canada. They could recently start another year of study and we pray that you'll bless the work that is done there that young men may be trained in the ministry. We pray that you'll be with our own brother, Caleb Poppy, and give him everything he needs so that he may faithfully do his work and grow in knowledge and faith. Help us as we live our lives here on this earth to know that we belong to you, to remember that we are your children, and we pray that this may be evident in our lives. Help us to be faithful in our work, knowing that through our lives here on this earth we are co-workers with you, building the new Jerusalem. Help us in all tribulation await our Lord Jesus Christ who will come down from heaven to change our mortal body to be like his glorious body and take us to himself forever. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen. You now have the opportunity to bring your thank offering which this afternoon is for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. And after the offering has been taken, let us rise and sing our closing song, Hymn 61.
lift up our hearts to the Lord, receive his blessing, and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.